With vivid and emotional and compelling language, our readings this morning point us to the reality that there is a God who is king and who has a kingdom. So for instance, if you look at your Daniel reading, we see the Son of Man with glory and sovereign power and with a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Or Psalm 93 depicts a God who is robed and a ruling king, surging with strength, holding the world firm to the very end of time. And in the book of Revelation, we see Jesus Christ, the ruler of all earthly kings. So as we come to this annual feast of Christ the King, what can this mean in practice? And this morning I want to just talk to you a bit about Christ the King as the basis for death to self. So if we just take one simple example, just one issue, like what lies behind human evil? And nearly all evildoing is done under the guise of necessity. Meaning, I wouldn't hurt others, but for the fact that it's necessary to secure my aims. Which, of course, I have to bring about. Yesterday, I was taking a walk, and these two young girls went um, rollerblading past me. And I heard one saying to the other with, like, like sort of a mix of enthusiasm and passion, saying, yeah, I really cussed her out. And you could tell like this was really important. Like she meant to say something like, I put her in her place or I finally won. But you could tell this was like really important to her. Yeah, I just cussed her out. So you you, you can fill in the blanks. Choose the words that come to your own mind. And just imagine this string of expletives full of condemnation and hate. And so if you were to just ask, well, what underlies that? The answer is actually very simple. I needed to win. I needed to get my point across, or I need to put her in her place, or whatever it is. Those are the things that justify it. But in contrast, I want to ask this morning, is there a basis upon which I could come to rely on God for the achievement of my aims and thus stop doing what I know to be wrong? And so this morning, I want to help us focus on Pilate's question in John 18, the one, if you look at your text, that says, are you king? And to help us wonder for a moment that if the answer is yes, could this be a basis for death to to self, catch that, death to self and life in God? So as we come to these passages this morning, it strikes me at least that concerning our own discipleship, maybe the most important implication of Christ being king is that it is in fact the rationale, the resources, and the capacity for the death to self that Jesus called for. So the mental model I want to begin to suggest to you now, and I'm going to try to work on your imaginations this morning. So the mental model I want to begin to suggest to you is this. Oh, you're the creator king. Just picture that in your mind hyphenated. You're the creator king. You're reigning over the universe. Therefore, I'm released. Look, it's just this simple. Honey, did you take out the trash? Yeah, I got it. 
And you'll know that feeling, oh, I'm released. Like I had that on my mind, like a stress day. And the cans need to go out. And you know, that was like that was weighing on my heart and my mind, my conscience. And so when you hear a, a child, if you're lucky enough to still, still have kids to boss around, if you have a child or a spouse or something that says, Oh, I got it. You just I want you to notice that immediate sense of release and how it kind of banishes the anxiety that might have been associated with, oh, I have this responsibility. I don't have to try to be queen or king over my life. And this is what meant Jesus meant. This was, when, when Jesus said these words, this was not Jesus trying to be austere. Um, this was not Jesus trying to be meaner than the prophets who'd come before him, you know, like, um, you know, I'll show you what real religion really is. This was an invitation. When Jesus said to his first followers, deny yourself. Take up your cross and crucify your queendom. And crucify your kingdom. Put it to death. You don't need it. I got this. The cans are out. I got this. So you can put yours to death and this is what he means when he says, thus everybody who loses their life for my sake will actually find life as God intended. <laughs> can, can we just like have an honest family moment? Do we actually believe that? That there is a life we can find in Christ that we'll never be able to invent on our own no matter how much you might be able to control who your, who your neighbors are at the cubicle at work, even if you control the economy, even if you could have full control based on your present queendom or your present kingdom, it will never approach the life available to us in Christ. This is the undergirding wisdom to this remarkable invitation. And of course, Paul's just simply thinking about this and working it out for himself when in Galatians 2.20, you know these famous words when he says, I am crucified with Christ. I did it. I took my kingdom and I laid it aside. And thus he says, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And so notions of death to self really get down to the willingness to trust the kingdom of God, to trust that there is a king who has a kingdom and it's to trust him where we are and with what we are and with what we're doing in a way that allows the kingdom to come into play. Now here's, you know, occasionally, I don't know, every few months or something, I find myself saying this, but this is one of the most important things I've ever said to you. <laughs> if you are always trying to control, if we are always trying to reign, God is not a cosmic nag. And he's likely to just let you have your way. Like if we insist on having our own kingdom, our own queendom, God so respects the human will that he created that he's not likely to violate your will. He's likely to just let you get on with life as you desire it. 
So self-denial then is the condition where the mere fact that I don't get what I want doesn't surprise me, doesn't offend me, and it has no control over me. I don't spend my life. Somebody who's given up their kingdom, their quindom, doesn't spend their life thinking about how they can control everything. So they're not surprised or offended when they don't have control over everything. Instead, they take on a different kind of life, a life that's easily controlled by the love of God and love of neighbor. That's what begins to dominate their life. So self-denial doesn't mean I have no needs. Of course, we do. We all do. It's, it's self-denial says, yes, I have needs. That's real about me. But self-denial then begins to include looking to God to meet our needs. And by the way, looking to others in a good sense. And that is that I exist in a community of faith and I exist in a family with Debbie and the kids and an extended family on both sides, right? I, ex I exist in a community of faith and sometimes God uses that community of faith to meet my needs. So that again releases me that not that I become somebody who uses you, but I become somebody who notices you and the resources of God in you and I have the humility to accept that. Now, again, this doesn't mean we don't have needs. And listen to me here. It doesn't mean you don't have preferences. You may prefer to have a different boss. You may prefer to have more on your paycheck. You may prefer to have different neighbors who aren't so loud. You can prefer a lot of things. That is actually okay. We might even say it's Christ-like. Right? In the garden, can you hear Jesus saying, Lord, let this cup pass from me. That is my preference. If this can be handled any other way, Lord, let this cup pass from me. But do you remember the next phrase? But nevertheless, this is ultimately to me a matter of indifference because I trust you. Yes, Lord, I have my preferences. But at the end of the day, I don't need to win. This, is a, this can become, to me, a matter of indifference, where I lay my kingdom before yours. Now, again, the basis for this is Christ the King. You know the phrase kingdom of God or the kingdom of the heavens is used over a hundred times in the New Testament. And virtually every time I begin to teach on this in a new place, whether it's in universities or seminaries or speaking engagements, or whatever, whenever I begin to talk on the kingdom of God, I always have a very many people say to me, I've never heard anyone teach on this. Wow, this is such a remarkably different angle on the gospel or whatever. I hear it all the time, everywhere I go. And yet it's used over a hundred times. The fact that there is a king who has a kingdom the, the picture of this is the New Testament is this king and his kingdom is active, it's vibrant, it's invading human life, it's moving forward, and it's drawing all things to their ultimate intended end. And Christ, the king, is its herald. Um, Jesus is the one who expounded on this. He announced it with his teachings, and he demonstrated in his deeds of power, and he embodied it in his way of being. So that if we were to summarize it, the gospel of Jesus is simply this, that life in God's kingdom is available to you now. And the kind of life that Jesus knew with reference to his Father is available to us now, that we can experience the kingdom and live in it by placing our confidence in Jesus for everything. And by being his constant students, 
precisely because we believe what Jesus said in what we call the Great Commission. Remember what the preference to the Great Commission is? All things under heaven and earth have been given to me. All things. I am the world's regent. All things under heaven and earth, all powers, rulers, authorities, circumstances, they've all been given to me. Therefore. And again, this becomes the basis for one who could practice an honest, authentic self-denial. Especially the one who can see the rule of Jesus as it actually is. It's a rule of redemption, of deliverance, of release from the powers of evil. You didn't have to cuss her out. You can be delivered from that. You didn't have to lie or cheat or steal or manipulate. You can be delivered from that. Now, can you begin to see how that's not a moralism? That lying isn't something that your grandmother insisted you not do? Or, you know, we don't do that in this house, those kind of moralisms, or maybe the moralisms you learned in Sunday school, that this is never that. This is always an invitation to a different kind of life in which those things are no longer necessary, therefore no longer compelling. It doesn't mean we don't slip up from time to time. Of course we do. But they're no longer compelling. They don't sort of have sway in our hearts. They're the exceptions to the rule. So in Jesus, we're invited to follow him into the kingdom of God that he knew, to follow him into the heart and life of God. For God's desire for humanity is that through Jesus, we would live in him and that we would base our life on the revelation of the kingdom of God. And this is precisely what Pilate misunderstands in John 18. So this is why Jesus finally says to him, you might, you know, circle the word my, my kingdom. You know, that, that's what, that, that's a word of like discreteness, right? Of separateness. My kingdom is not from this world. And the word from is an orienting word. Jesus is talking about origin. And in sort of a tongue-in-cheek way, it's hard to know, you know, you're reading between the lines here. It's a little bit maybe putting Pilate in his place. Someone made you king. Some political process, something made you king. But my kingdom is not from this world. That is to say, my kingdom is not from the spoils of war or the maneuvering of politics. Uh, The message is great here where it has Jesus saying, my kingdom doesn't consist of what you see around you. I'm not the world's kind of king. And this brings us back to the notion this morning of the kingdom of God and its king as a basis for death to self. Because even as Jesus' kingdom was not from this world, death to self is the same way. It can't be from this world. It cannot be merely an act of our will. Lots of you have tried that. You just try to engage your will and, and you know, think of those girls on their rollerblades. You know, if that girl were to say, oh, I probably really shouldn't do that anymore and just sort of will not to do it, well, she'll bust out again the next time she's truly threatened. She might be able to get by until she's not threatened again, but as soon as she's really threatened again, she'll just bust out again because it's the way she's learned to manage life. When in doubt or, or, when, or when fearful, just cuss them out. 
So it can't merely be an act of our will, though our will is certainly involved. It can't simply be a mental idea, but of course our brains are involved in this. But ultimately, death to self comes from a confidence in an outside, overarching reality that there is a king who has a kingdom, and it's in that that I trust. And so this is what, again, Pilate's misunderstanding. Far from thinking of death to self, Pilate thought he had the power to create I want you to catch this, please. Pilate thought he had the power to create and to enforce a self-made self. And essentially, you know, again, we're reading between the lines, hard to know what's really going on, but essentially, you know, Jesus has kind of said what's true, but also kind of poked at Pilate. Pilate's now poking back, saying something like, and of course we see this in John 19, Pilate's basically poking back and saying, you know, I got a cross available to me, right? I can go a lot farther than just cussing you out. I have the best torture we've ever invented available to me. It's true. Basically threatening Jesus, saying, you know, soon all you're going to have available to you is a bruised and bloody and naked body. And the scriptures just want to say with an exclamation point, yes, yes, a thousand times yes. That is the cosmic truth, that one man's death to self, his beaten, naked, crucified body has more truth and more kingly power in it than anything that Pilate or anybody else could have imagined. That's the core of our existence. That's the core of God. That's what's at the core of creation. Yes, 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 a thousand times yes. Naked, beaten, broken, defeats human power every time. Because that heart of God that we see in Jesus is not only the root of, the cos- of what we think of as our little earth, but think of the whole cosmos. It pervades the whole cosmos. It is not only the original reality, but it's the future reality. And whatever Pilate's dealing with is just sort of a shadow mockery. So here we are. Feast of Christ the King. Lots of you probably don't follow the church here, and that's okay, but for those of you who do, you remember this is the last week. I mean, I know it's not the end of December yet, but this is the last week in the church year. And it's meant to kind of summarize everything that had happened during ordinary time, in our case, looking through the the discipleship notions that we discovered in the minor prophets as we went through ordinary time. And then we come to this morning where that's all tied up together as we celebrate the all-embracing authority of Christ as our King and begin to pivot to Advent with its natural invitation to a worshipful surrender to the world's one true King as we see him coming on the scene. If you look one more time at your passage in John 18, you'll see these words where Jesus says, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And and notice there both the invitation and the permission not to. So there's an invitation to listen to his voice, but there's the acknowledgement that not everyone is of the truth. For instance, in this passage, Pilate. Or for instance, those who handed Jesus over to Pilate. They're not of the truth, but they're allowed to control their own kingdom or queendom. And this brings us to the choice that I think the last year, last Sunday of the year, pivoting to the first Sunday of the new year, 
we're meant to have this choice before us, to run our own little kingdom, our own little queendom, or with loyal trust to submit to Jesus, who as a king lived in humble service. So Pilate's questions hang in the air. Are you king? What is truth? And ultimately, each one of us has to decide on those two questions. And this is precisely what Jesus was getting at when he taught his first disciples, Matthew 6, saying, I'm I'm paraphrasing, everything I'm saying, everything that I'm about, this is what it boils down to. This is what's first and most important. Seek, that is to say, aim at and strive after God's kingdom and God's righteousness. That is to say, his way of doing and being right, not the Pharisees, not the Sadducees, not the Qumran sect, not the Herodians, not the Zealots. Eh, Their way of being right is just religious nonsense. But seek first God and his kingdom and his righteousness, his attitudes, his character, and then here's the source of indifference. And then everything you need will be given to you also. Indifference doesn't mean I don't care. Indifference means over to you, God, you know the trash cans have to go out today. I'm present to my life with its preferences. I'm present to what's real about me. But at the end of the day, seek first the king and his kingdom. Now, I said I wanted to work on your imaginations a bit this morning. And so as we come to our time of quiet, I want to invite you to um, still yourself and close your eyes if you'd like. And in this moment of quiet to hear these words over you, this is Matthew 6 in the message, and, and hear the invitation and hear the possibilities for a different kind of human life. Now I want you to just begin to wonder and begin to picture what would it be like for you if you steep your life in God reality? in God initiative, in God provisions. Don't worry on missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, and God provisions. Don't worry about missing out you'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met.